Welcome to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. The hit cast offers a weekly look at Hollywood from a conservative point of view. Sick of media bias infecting Hollywood headlines? Tired of stars insulting your views? Hit has your back. Now, here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to episode 53 of the Hollywood and Toto podcast. This week was speaking with Dallas Jenkins, the director of the new series, The Chosen, about the life of Jesus Christ. Dallas has a really inspiring story to share, and his passion for the new series made me eager to check it out. This week's show is sponsored by Jimmy Kimmel Live, featuring new head writer Chuck Schumer. Before my chat with Dallas, I want to talk about the box office results from 2017. Now, we know it wasn't really pretty, and there were some very big, very obvious duds. Think about King Arthur, Rough Night, Suburbicon, Baywatch. Meanwhile, The Last Jedi is printing all the money you thought it would, warts and all. Well, that's not unexpected, but what's really kind of weird and maybe kind of scary from a movie lover's point of view is those mid-sized movies and how well or how poorly they did. You know the kind. They had to tell hearts-tugging stories, that, the kind of tales that our culture really needs right now. I think they always need them, but I think maybe a little bit more than ever. Now, we got some of those films. Thank you for your service. Only the brave, stronger, the space between us, the promise. And what do they all have in common? Each flopped, some in pretty spectacular fashion. Now, if you compare that to the receipts from Transformers the last night, you might not sleep tonight. So what does it all mean, though? It's just getting tougher and tougher for adult-minded stories to draw a crowd. Now, some still do. I was really heartened to see how many people went and checked out Wonder, an amazing film that was really appropriate for families and the kind of movie you really want your kids to see. It's got life lessons in it, and it's just absolutely charming. But most movies of that kind just are not doing well at this moment in time. I don't know if it's a cultural shift, it's just a hiccup, but I think given all the competition for our eyeballs, especially on the home front, there's less and less of a chance of people checking out those mature, sober, inspiring stories that don't have superheroes or robots or things like that. I think most people today, if they want that kind of storytelling, they just stay home. They check out Netflix. They watch Amazon Prime, maybe even one of the better shows on broadcast TV. I know I do that a lot. This year, I checked out Netflix Ozark, a great series with Jason Bateman. I don't regret spending time on that at all. I'd do it again. But the more I watch shows like that, the less I'm in the theaters, and I'm pretty sure I'm not alone. Now, the year isn't quite over yet. We're almost there, but not quite. And the box office receipts are still rolling in for movies like The Darkest Hour, Molly's Game, The Greatest Showman. Can those movies compete with The Last Jedi? Were they going to fade away as well? What does that mean? And what does that tell the Hollywood studios who are trying to make a living, trying to you know, break the bank whenever they can? Do they want to even put their money behind those projects? Are they going to kind of shuttle them off to TV and then make Transformers 12, 13, and 14? I suspect we're going to see a lot more populist films, which is, can be good, but often is a little bit depressing in that you want a better variety of movies at the box office. I don't want to see that shift in our culture, but I fear it's happening right now. The Celebrity Tweet of the Week comes to us from Bette Midler. The ageless entertainer, aghast at the tax reform passed by President Trump and company, sent out this message. Tax reform bill passed. Think your health care and education are bad now? Prepare to emigrate. Canada is looking for brains. 
Now, we all know Bet isn't budging, nor any of the celebrities who vowed to flee the country when Trump became the president. And we're not quite sure how people keeping more of their money is going to hurt anyone's education. But if Bet says it, it's got to be true. Nobody puts baby in a corner. This is 40 stories of sheer adventure, my friend. What's your favorite scary movie? You will believe that a man can fly. That's right. We're talking about all these terrible franchises and more on The Franchise. The franchise. <laughs> Co-hosted by Daniel Ehrenberg and... Henry Papali, folks. That's right. So uh, check it out. Your boy Christian Toto from the Hollywood and Toto podcast has been on an episode about, yeah, baby, yeah. Yeah. Austin Powers, international man of mystery. That's right. And if you feel lucky, punks, you should tune into our show, too. That's right. The franchise on iTunes. My hit tip of the week is Godless. The new Netflix series doesn't really in reinvent the Western. It just nails virtually every trope we've ever seen in the Western genre. I'm only three episodes in. I'm not all the way through all seven, but boy, I am hooked and wowed. Jeff Daniels is excellent here as the villain. He's perfectly kind of cast against type. He's usually kind of a likable guy. Maybe he has a bit of an edge to him, but here he is nasty. But to me, the show's real excellence is how it feels lived in. I just feel like I'm transported to a different time. The characters feel authentic. The settings certainly do. And the craftsmanship across the board is outstanding. The music, the acting, the script, the visuals. It feels like the very best of what movies used to be. Transported, of course, to the small screen. Sense of theme? Now, you know, Netflix originals can be hit or miss, and some of their movies even more so. But when they swat a home run, it's a thing of beauty, and Godless is a really good example of just that. You're listening to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. Now let's get to my chat with Dallas Jenkins. Dallas is a veteran film director behind films like The Resurrection of Gavin Stone. Now he's tackling his most ambitious project alongside the streaming service VidAngel. The Chosen looks at the life of Christ through the eyes of the sinners who knew him. It's a really clever way to tackle a faith-based project, and the first episode is available now. Just go to vidangel.com forward slash The Chosen. The show already has a bunch of support from fans. Now, it's got a unique investor program that's not your typical crowdfunding technique, but if you're interested, certainly check out that website and find out more about it and how you can maybe take advantage of the system. For now, let's chat with Dallas Jenkins, talk about The Chosen, and hear a really great message that he's got to share at the end of our chat. Dallas, thank you for joining the HitCast. Uh, when I look at a project like The Chosen, I think, was there a particular spark that really made this happen within you, or is this something you've kind of wanted to do for a while, and all the pieces kind of aligned just slowly over time, and now is the perfect time to get it done? I think both, actually. Um, I have... Uh, for the last few years, uh, been doing short films and vignettes for my church um, about the life of Christ, or typically around the time of the crucifixion, because uh, we usually do, you know, we're a church of, you know, 13,000 people spread out across Chicagoland, so we have a huge Good Friday service, 20,000 people show up, and so each year I've been doing little vignettes and short films, um, and they always are the most 
impactful things that I do along with the, the things that I do that are the most, uh, I think, inspiring. I mean, I think they come the easiest to me. I've been a, a, a believer my whole life. And so um, I think that uh, combined with my desire to tell stories, I think the notion of of taking a, a well-known Bible story and finding a different way to communicate it without messing with the core truth of it and without messing with the verses is something that just I think I've always loved. And so when uh, this year when we did this short film about the birth of Christ and from the perspective of the shepherds, it came so easily. I loved it so much. When I was done, I realized, man, this, why am I fighting this? This is, you know, why why should I be doing anything different? And I think combined with the fact that, and we'll get into this in a minute, but the fact that Vid Angel loved my idea of a TV show, a regular TV series where you've got, you know, different seasons and, and, and multiple episodes per season, exploring the Gospels in more detail and following characters uh, in a real deep way, as opposed to just going from Bible verse to Bible verse. They love that idea so much. I loved the idea. It felt so perfect. Um, and it's come together so quickly. So it's one of those things that's like it took a lifetime to have an overnight uh, idea. <laughs> Now, the structure of the series, at least in part, really caught my interest. Having Jesus Christ and his life told from the sinner's perspective, I love that. And it seems like from a storyteller's perspective, the, the possibilities are endless. Uh, maybe can you tease a little bit about what you have in store for the sh- maybe in the in the near future? I, 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 again, you can go in different directions, but I, I'm sure there are different themes and angles and maybe even characters or plots that you th- are kind of itching to do right away. Absolutely. So... The, the pilot episode the Chris, is this Christmas special. So this is the story of the birth of Christ from the perspective of the shepherds. Now, again, lest no one get too you know, upset or concerned, obviously we're not doing a story about the birth of Christ without showing Jesus and Mary and Joseph. So it's not like we are doing a story solely about the shepherds. It's just from their perspective. They're the main characters. They're who we see these the story uh, through. And so the TV series, like I'm, for, we're finishing up the the first episode of the season right now, uh, writing it, and we've plotted out the whole first season. So the first season is essentially Jesus gathering his followers and his disciples. So um, Jesus didn't actually launch his public ministry um, right away. And so this first season, we are following these main characters before Jesus called them and as Jesus called them. And we see what they were like before they met him. And so that when he encountered them or when they encountered him is a better way to put it, how their lives were changed is the thrust of the first season. So episode one, for example, just to give you, I haven't talked about this to anybody yet. So uh, I can't believe I've already started my sentence, so I might as well finish it. (laughs) That's right. The first episode centers mostly around Mary Magdalene. Mm -hmm. And so um, Mary Magdalene was someone who, uh, before she met Christ, the Bible describes her as someone who was a loose woman possessed by multiple demons. So instead of just meeting her as we do in the Gospels and hearing about her past that way, we're going to see it. What was she like before she encountered the man who could change her entire life? So she's kind of provides the thrust of it. But the four main characters besides Jesus, uh, and Jesus, like a show like The West Wing, where the president wasn't the main character, he was just one of the characters. Um, So Jesus will be that like like that in this in this show. The four primary characters are Peter, because he was a bull in a china shop who provided 
you know, a, a, a hero's journey pretty much every day um, of going from crazy to sane back to crazy all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Mary Magdalene, um, who has such a significant transformation and was a woman, obviously, so she had a unique perspective um, as she became one of Jesus's followers. Nicodemus, who provides insight into the Pharisees at the time. So again, instead of a regular Jesus movie where these Pharisees show up as these kind of caricatures, these evil, hateful guys who are just trying to, you know, essentially mess with Jesus the entire time. Nicodemus was the one who was caught between two worlds. He was a Pharisee and a teacher and a religious leader. His reputation was centered around it. Jesus called him a great teacher of Israel. He was actually relatively famous. How does he reconcile what he's done his whole life with who Jesus is clearly showing himself to be and how that is going against what he's known. And then Matthew is a tax collector. Matthew was someone who was, as a tax collector, hated by Jews because he was a bit of a sellout working for the Romans who were occupying the area, but also disrespected by the Romans. They didn't give a rip about uh, a Jew. And so he was just a tool for them to collect money. So how did that work? And the Bible says that when Jesus called him, he got up and followed. It's like <laughs> literally Jesus walking around. He sees Mac- Matthew sitting at his booth, says, come follow me. Matthew has no problem jumping up and following him. So what is that like? And how does he fit in with this group of disciples who aren't going to be too welcoming to a Jew who had been essentially betraying them for the Romans and collecting money? So that's the gist of the of the first season, following them and Jesus gathering the disciples. So that season two is the launch of his public ministry. And it's so interesting to tell you to hear you describe it because it seems like such a natural fit for long form television as opposed to the films. But that's but we've seen up until this point. I, I'm kind of curious. You know, storytellers always have creative license, and if you adapt the next Harry Potter book. You can change certain things, and the audience will accept it, or maybe you get frustrated by it. When you're dealing with something that's so intimate, so personal, and so powerful as as faith, talk about as a storyteller the creative license you can employ, and and sort of that balance because you don't want to upset people, you don't want to kind of disturb sure. their faith. At the same time, you want to tell compelling stories, and sometimes that may be that may require some stretching or or sort of tinkering with things that maybe people believe in deeply. Well, the, yeah, and so the key is there's a very key word that I'm not doing. I'm not changing anything. Mm -hmm. This will not be about change. This will simply be about expanding the backstories of who and what we already know. So when we get to the moments, see, so you just mentioned it a minute ago, most Jesus movies are trying to cover so much ground Mm -hmm. in so little time. It's just verse to verse, miracle to miracle. There's no emotional connection with any of the characters. Jesus, who is the main character, someone you can't really identify with anyway, because he's the sinless son of God. So you can't really kind of live vicariously through him. So we're saying literally, we're not going to change anything. Everything that's in the Bible when we portray it, is going to be portrayed accurately, and we're not going to make the words sound better. Now, they might not be King James translation, um, but they will be an honest, you know, translation of the original intention, the original Hebrew, and we will, you know, they will sound like normal human beings, not like they're quoting scripture, but they, they, they we will be accurate. Mm-hmm. It's when we just add to, we're not adding to scripture in the sense that that's another thing we're being clear about. This is not scripture. This is not gospel. The scriptures are complete. 
this is a story, this is a film rooted in Scripture. The Scripture will not be changed, but we will be looking into and exploring what Peter must have been like, what the day must have been like before we encounter um, the Bible verse that we know so well. So, for example, just a real quick example. Um, I've already actually shot a vignette last year that's going to make its way into the series, which is when Jesus says to Peter— you are, I'm going to call you Peter, you're going to be the rock that I build my church on, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Okay, so we know that that's what Jesus said to Peter. So why not explore what where they were when he said that? Mm-hmm. So we decide, all right, let's say there are, it's the disciples sitting around the campfire at night, you know, before they go to sleep. Uh, what are they talking about before Jesus says that? Well, let's play with that. What's happening? So I showed them arm wrestling and kind of screwing around a bit and having some contests. I actually showed Jesus kind of tell a little joke and tease one of the characters a little bit. We show them teasing each other. Then it leads into, all right, what are we doing tomorrow? Are we going to are we going to go to the city? And Jesus says, oh, it's not my time yet. So we incorporate bits from other scenes into this. And then Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And then that's when we do stick to scripture. But there's nothing, we're not. One is by showing them having some fun before we get into the part of scripture. And the people who've seen that, the 20,000 people who saw that scene at Good Friday services, not only weren't bothered by it, it enhanced their worship and their appreciation of who Jesus was and who Peter was because they had kind of a personal connection to these characters. So that's an example of what we're doing. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. It's also uh, kind of a, a great test marketing where you've kind of seen it with people, got that audience reaction, and it was able to kind of kind of fuel what you're doing right now. I, I love it. I think it's so many so many ways you can kind of kind of tell the story and enrich it. It just seems like a perfect fit for TV. I'm speaking with Dallas Jenkins, the director of the upcoming series on the life of Jesus Christ called The Chosen. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, the faith-based market right now, and some people even even sort of contest the term, but let's just, for argument's sake, describe it like that, is, to me, it's such an interesting arena right now. You know, not every Christian film is successful, but a lot are still. And I feel like the stories are, are getting more interesting. They're getting more uh, substantial, you need bigger budgets, bigger actors, you know, I, I love the movie Risen. I thought that was fascinating. And I, I, I think it's, I think the space is just kind of growing and maturing in really fascinating ways. From your perspective, it, it sounds like you're on board with that. You want to, you kind of kind of loosen things up a bit, more creative, more, more experimental in a sense. Where would you say sort of faith-based storytelling is right now as we head to 2018? Well, I think that in the theatrical experience, as in going to movie theaters, um, it is, it is, pretty much dying other than bigger movies. So for example, my, my movie, the resurrection of Gavin stone, which came out earlier this year in theaters leading up to it was building a lot of great buzz. Um, the reaction from those who'd seen it in early test screenings was over the moon and a lot of, well, you know, like a lot of very smart people and experts in the business who were releasing the film were extremely excited. By the time the movie came to theaters, even just in the previous three few months, the space had started to die for lots and lots of reasons. But mm. one of the largest reasons is just theatrical movie going in general is kind yeah. of being it's steering towards big movies that belong in the big screen. Anything that's smaller is going to streaming and television and people can just wait to watch it at home. So 
that's where the business was going anyway. That's where actually some of my tastes have been going. My tastes run to the more intimate, to the more personal. And I think faith-based storytelling in general is, tends to be like that. It's not rooted in the big epic visuals. It tends to be rooted in the emotional and the spiritual, the intellectual, the personal. And so that belongs on streaming. That belongs in these binge-worthy TV shows. So I'm just trying to get ahead of that a little bit. It's where I think the business is starting to shift. It's where I feel more at home anyway. Um, I love, I think we're in the golden age of television quality-wise, um, not necessarily values-wise, but some of the best television shows of all time are on Netflix, on AMC, on uh, A&E, these kinds of shows that are really doing great and really interesting, and it allows us to explore some things that we're not necessarily able to explore in 90 minutes in a one-shot only thing. So that's what I'm excited about with this series is I get to explore the Gospels, get to dig into the characters, and really get into the meat of the emotion and in the personal and in the intimate by taking the time that only a TV show can provide. Mm-hmm. You mentioned in a very personal message that you have at the end of the Shepherd episode, and again, you can find that at vidangel.com backslash the chosen. You talk about how Look what Hollywood did to Noah, and I know a lot of people of faith were very, uh, weren't exactly satisfied with that film, to, to put it mildly. When right. it comes to Hollywood's approach to spiritual movies and spiritual content, obviously there's a disconnect there. Are you, would you like to see the bigger studios tackle this and maybe do it in a more authentic way, or, or do you think it's up to people like yourself to kind of bridge that gap and do it the right way? What, what's your sort of take on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that when you are making a story about Jesus or a story about a biblical character, if you don't believe that it's true or if it hasn't truly impacted you and you're just taking it, attacking it from a, I shouldn't, I don't even mean attacking in a negative way, but I just mean addressing it from um, a strictly intellectual perspective you're simply not going to engage the audience that most wants to see this. It's just not going to happen. Um, it becomes just kind of a, a vicarious, you know, kind of a, um, uh, I'm, tra- I'm blanking on the word here, but the, it starts with a V, I'm sorry, voyeuristic exercise. That's what I meant, where you're just looking at it from the outside going, oh, that's interesting. Oh, I'm that's curious how they tackled that or what their interpretation was for that. I'm trying for something much more visceral and I think much more satisfying to the audience. We just have to accept the fact that scripture, for a large group of people around the world, is defines their lives. It's it's what they're passionate about. And so I'm coming, I think the only way to come at it from a truly emotional sense is by someone whose life has been impacted by it. So I wouldn't necessarily be the right guy to do a series about Greek mythology unless it was a documentary and I was just kind of exploring it as a unique, interested observer. Um, but from the, for the, for the, to truly capture the spiritual experience that people look for when they're, when they're approaching Bible stories, um, I think you need someone who believes it, um, or at least has wrestled with it significantly. An atheist coming on and saying, I'm going to look at the story of Noah from an, you know, a, an ecological perspective, um, even if it's a great filmmaker, it's just not going to have the emotional or spiritual resonance. And that's the reason people go to Scripture. So maybe it'll succeed among a certain art house crowd, but the, the core audience that you're trying to please isn't going isn't to show up. Yeah, and I think that the receipts for Noah dropped dramatically in the second week when I can, people, the word of mouth sort of kicked in and, hey, this is not what we we're hoping for. I was kind of curious, for, uh, you've been in film for a while now, and you've got a lot of credits to your name. 
when you were a much younger person and kind of thinking about maybe exploring life as a storyteller, what were the filmmakers or actors that inspired you? Or where do you kind of look back and say, that was the movie, that was the TV show that really taught me or maybe just kind of veered me in this direction where you are right now? Oh, it's such a great question. So few people ask me that. So thank you for that. Um, the movie that made me want to make movies uh, was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, my um, goodness. <laughs> I saw that in eighth or ninth grade. I don't remember. And it had such an emotional, uh, it was such an emotional experience for me. I said that that whatever that is, I want to do that. Mm -hmm. And I had grown up in a very protected Christian home. Um, my dad didn't really start introducing me to great movies until I was older. Uh, he was a bit of a movie buff, but just, we kept it safe and family friendly growing up. And I saw a TV version of one full of the cuckoo's nest. Um, and I just was like, I that's I want to do an audience is what this movie has done for me, and so that's where I can kind of engaged what I think already existed in me, in me as the son of an author. My dad is well known for the Left Behind series. He's written over 190 books. He's a storyteller. Uh, I've always liked being a storyteller, but uh, I didn't have an outlet for it until I saw that movie and realized that's what I want to do. The movie that has by far been my favorite and most impactful and has made its way. Uh, into its influence has made it way it's made its way into almost every movie I've ever made is it's a wonderful life. And so that's the movie that I still watch every year. I weep every single time I watch it. It's it, the, the, the notion that it, it was willing to take you through darkness to get to the light. It didn't skip over any of the, of the story aspects that, that explained our main character's transformation. That was a huge uh, example for me. And so everything that I do, especially coming up on this TV series that I'm developing, I don't want to skip any steps in a character's journey. I want to show what took him from A to Z. And the series, the TV series that I think did that better than anything almost in history was Breaking Bad, taking a guy from a t uh, being a nerdy professor to a vicious gangster criminal um, they didn't skip any steps over the course of several years. You every, every single thing was motivated, and you could understand why he did what he did, even though you disagreed with it. And ultimately, it it was his downfall. It it was inspiring as a storyteller to see how they did it, and that's what I want to do in reverse mm -hmm. with characters like Peter and Mary Magdalene. Uh, just looking at my own sort of career, I went to school for art, and at some point, I realized. I can't become a professional artist. I don't have the chops, and I switched to writing. I was kind of curious, kind of flipping that that trajectory for you. Was there a moment early in your career where you, as much as you wanted to be a storyteller, you? I mean, sometimes we're not sure we can do it. We we have dreams. We don't always make those dreams happen. But was there maybe a moment early in your career where you it kind of clicked, or or maybe you got feedback from someone, or you just said, you know what, this is not only the path that I want to do, but this is the path that I can do, and this is going to work for me. Man, it's almost like you've watched. Like I, I did a, I did a video blog about a vlog about this earlier this year. Um, it's almost like you watched it, but I know you haven't, so it's it's very <laughs> funny. But uh, I had I, it was kind of the opposite. It was I had made um, a couple of movies uh, to varying degrees of success. And I made a movie entitled Midnight Clear, a Christmas Eve story um, about someone who was attempting suicide. So again, that's where the influence of It's a Wonderful Life came in. And I finished it, and my filmmaking mentor, who's Scott Derrickson, who's the director of of uh, Doctor Strange and The Day the Earth Stood Still and Sinister, he's a guy who was kind of my filmmaking mentor. And he well, he watched it, an early cut of it, and he said, "You're an amateur." You know, he just 
told me straight out, this is just not very good. There's moments that are fine. I think I pointed out to him, what about that one shot? Wasn't that a cool shot? He goes, yeah, a real movie is nothing but those shots, you know? Mm -hmm. And he was just so honest with me, but not coming from a place of, of anger or rudeness. It was just like, you want my opinion? You want to be good at this? Let me tell you the truth. And it, it changed my life. I devoted myself at that point to the, the art of cinema and not just be trying to become a decent storyteller, but actually being a decent visual storyteller. And I realized that all of my influences had been influenced by other people and they had done their study, they had done their work, and I hadn't done mine to the extent that I needed to. And so I just became obsessed with getting better and asking questions. And he was there for me at every stage. I just, every question I asked, he was willing to answer. I looked at my weaknesses and tried to fix them. I, I figured out the things that I was worst at and I read books on how to get better and I watched movies and studied them. And, and, uh, and so that was the moment back in, I think it was probably around 2006 where I just, 2007, where I was like, I'm going to become a good filmmaker if it kills me. And so recognizing your weaknesses and going after them, I think is a key, not only for me and in, in any, but it's a key for, I think, any line of work. Um, and I think it's even true of the Christian life, just as a believer, you know, in your faith, just going, what are my weaknesses, even as a believer, as a husband and as a father, and how can I be um, you know, I kind of how can I pursue holiness better? And it was a similar journey for me with filmmaking. Uh, I've I've had this podcast for a year now, and that is easily my favorite answer to a question. So I really <laughs> appreciate that so much, uh, Dallas. Let's. I want to wrap it up by talking about the future for the chosen. Now, will VidAngel be the place where we'll see the series once it is in? You know, it's completed and it's going to going through the pipeline, or or how right. will that work out? What, what can we expect? Yeah. Yeah, so here's where I tell you kind of the, the, the nuts and bolts of how this is happening. So we're creating this TV series. Um, we're, right now we're raising support for it, and I'll, I'll, I'll get to that in just a second. But we're, So I and my partners, um, Matthew Faraci and Daryl Eves, they're, they're mentioned on this website. So it's vidangel.com slash the chosen. You said backslash. That's incorrect. It's forward slash. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. So, no, no, no. Everyone, a lot of people say backslash. I just got to like, it's, it's one of my little, I just got a pet peeve. It's just one of my funny little things. I'm like, no, no, the slash is moving from left to right. It's You're moving right. forward. So, uh, so I'm just teasing, but it's, it's forward slash the chosen. Okay. Um, so vidangel.com slash the chosen. You can watch the pilot episode of this series for free. It's a Christmas special. It's perfect for Christmas um, because it's about the birth of Christ from the perspective of the shepherds. So when people watch it, that's their test essentially for whether or not they want to be involved in this. If you like it, if you want to see more like this, you can get involved by pledging your support. Now we're not taking investments yet. We're not actually taking money yet. That round comes in a couple months after everything's been qualified by the SEC and yada, 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 all this legal jargon that I don't understand, so I'm not going to get in trouble by saying it wrong. But point being is, this is where we're getting interest. In the last two weeks, we have we have received over $6 million in pledges. That means people have this – is, that's not cash to the bank, of course. That's just – this is people who want to pledge their interest. They have pledged over $6 million worth of interest. We now – you know, by the time that this round ends, which is the end of the year – we will then take all that. We go, okay, look, clearly people are excited. Clearly people are engaged. Clearly people want to see more. We know now that this is worth pursuing. We're going to pursue it. And then we let them know when we're qualified. Here now is your time. You can invest more or less than what you pledged, but we were just wanting you to hold your spot in line and gauge interest. So that's how people can get involved. When it's done, yes, 
it will be primarily on VidAngel. Now, the cool thing about VidAngel is, even though for a lot of people, including myself, who hadn't heard much about it, it's an awesome streaming service. It allows you to watch your shows how you want to watch them through Netflix, through Amazon, but you get to filter out the things you don't like. For example, my family can watch Stranger Things. For my youngest kid, I don't want him to hear certain words. We just say, filter out these words uh, on on, on VidAngel's filtering software and we can watch it unencumbered without hearing those words. So it's beautiful. They're getting into original content. That's what The Chosen is. Chosen is this kind of launch point for original content. It's this TV series. Now, it'll also be available on DVD, so people who don't want VidAngel can get it. Mm-hmm. But I, I just hope people do get VidAngel because that's where they're going to get to watch it. So much like when House of Cards came out and everyone was like hearing about it and wanted to see it, the only way to do it was to get Netflix. I'm not going to apologize for the fact that, yes, <laughs> To watch this, you got to get VidAngel. Fortunately, it's not a uh, it's not a bait and switch. VidAngel is awesome. My family's loving it now too. But that's there there are partners in this, and that's how you're going to be able to watch it when it does come out. Excellent. Yeah, I actually went to the VidAngel uh, headquarters uh, a few months back, and it's pretty amazing. It's a great service, and the flexibility of the uh, the module that you use to kind of pick and choose what you want and what you don't want. It's pretty great. So certainly check out VidAngel, even above and beyond the chosen. But I've certainly check it out as there as well. Well. Dallas, thank you so much for joining the HitCast. You can check out his pilot episode for The Chosen online now at vidangel forward slash The Chosen. You can, yes. also, you can also rent or stream his most recent film, The Resurrection of Gavin Stone, co-starring a HitCast, HitCast guest, D.B. Sweeney. Great actor. Love his stuff. So you can check him out in that. Dallas, thanks so much. And uh, we will be checking in with you, I best down the short road. I want to find out more about what you're up to. And uh, we'll kind of check in and see what's happening with The Chosen. I think when we're shooting it, we should have you come to the set or do do maybe a little special episode, don't you I think? I love that. That sounds great. Thanks. Thanks, Dallas. Well, thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out HollywoodandToto.com for both the show notes and, of course, the latest entertainment news. Please follow me at Twitter at HollywoodandToto. And we'd love it if you leave a podcast review over at iTunes. See you next week. Ugh. I have to do laundry when I get home. I have to lug all my clothes over to the washing machine. Then I get to put them in the dryer and accidentally shrink my cashmere sweater again. (laughs) Motorcycles make everything exciting. And when Geico makes it easy to switch and save on motorcycle insurance, it's even more exciting. I'm going to fold all my socks into little balls. Yeah! Geico Motorcycle. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Let's make Vision Zero a reality in D.C. Almost half of D.C.'s traffic fatalities come from impaired driving. These deaths are 100% preventable. Don't let impaired driving ruin your holiday. Always have a plan for a sober ride. Never drive impaired. D.C. police are arresting drunk and drugged drivers. Drive sober or get pulled over. A message from the District Department of Transportation and Metropolitan Police Department.